So today's Shmuz is being given my father, Hachaber Rabtsvialevi, Ben Hachaber Meshalevi. My father was a uh, very Chashaba person, and he, uh, he was a person that did a lot of Chesed, a lot of Tzedakah, and uh, was a Tamar Chacham. And I really, generally, I don't give a shmuz on Erev Shabbos uh, before Shabbos Shuva because I figured whoever will stay will be here for tomorrow sh- tomorrow's drasha, and uh, and so I don't like overkill, but um, but because it happened to fall out today, the uh, the yard of my father, I felt that it would be appropriate to do that. Specifically because, thank you, specifically because uh, my father, who was Nifter nine years ago today, um, used to drive out Kimat every Friday uh, to the Shmuz to hear, to hear me give a Shmuz here in Yeshiva. And he uh, took a lot of pride in it, and um, we used to, he used to come for the Shmuz, and then after the Shmuz, uh, we would go out to eat for lunch. The shmuz a little bit later. In the olden days, they used to give it uh, 10, 10.30. And so by the time it was over, it was closer to lunchtime, so we used to go to a local restaurant, and we would shmuz, and we'd have very uh, very nice times together. And um, But he loved the yeshiva. He loved the guys in the yeshiva. He always said that, uh, you know, that the Talmidim in Beis Medish Talmud are... He, always said, he used to say he was a European. He came from Denmark, uh, Germany. Um, and uh, he used to say that the guys in the yeshiva are good, clean-cut American boys. That's what he always used to say. That was a compliment. You know, like, uh, just very uh, fine. And um, Baruch Hashem, they were and they are. So I'm sure my father is getting a lot of nachas um, as the yeshiva Baruch Hashem is... Uh, is, uh, is has bloomed a lot since then, and uh, but uh, his neshama should have an aliyah. So the beginning of this week's parsha, the very first pasuk says, "Vayelech Meisha," and Meisha Avenu went. And so, normally you'd expect to for the pasuk to tell you where he went. If I said that, uh, you know, that uh, Chaim went, you'd say, and then I just, like, leave it hanging at that, you'd probably say, well, where did he go? I just, Yankov went, where, where, where? doesn't say. It just says, Vayelach Maisha, period, or comma. And then it says that he spoke to Bnei Yisrael, but it doesn't say where he went. Obviously, Maisha Ben is constantly speaking to Bnei Yisrael. There's a million Vayelach Hashem. He's always speaking to Bnei Israel. But here the parsha starts out like with a hanging, you know, a hanging verb. He went, and it doesn't tell us where he went. And the Mepharshim all deal with this. The Ramban has a pshat, the Kliyakar has a pshat. I wanted to just suggest a pshat of my own. Very simple pshat. Here we're talking about the last day of Moshe Rabbeinu's life. If you look in Rashi, he says that today's the last day of my life. You don't have to look in Rashi. The Pasuk actually says it. Ben Esrim Anechi Hayayim. Today I'm 120 years old. Today was Moshe Rabbeinu's birthday. It was the day he says, I was born on this day, Rashi says, and today's the day I'm going to die. He knew very well that he was going to die. This was the very last day of his life. And you would think that, you know, on the last day of your life, you can sort of like, just like, just sort of coast a little bit, like let up, you know, relax a little bit, do your own thing, unwind, prepare for death, do things that people normally do when they're sort of getting their, uh, their business in order, you know, maybe write a personal will to your family, speak to your family a little bit, uh, I don't know, take a walk, do something for yourself. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't do that. Moshe Rabbeinu, on the very last day of his life, 
he continued doing whatever he was doing his whole life with full force, with the full strength of Moshe Rabbeinu, Vayelech Moshe. And the trop on Vayelech Moshe, under the word Moshe is what? An asnachta. Asnachta means it's like a rest, like from a Lashon of Nach, Nayach. Asnachta means that's like a stop. It's not a safe pasuk, but in the middle of a pasuk, you always have an asnachta, you're not always, but some, a lot of times you have an asnachta, and asnachta means that's a stop. Let's make a, a short stop over here. Vayelach Moshe asnachta. Moshe Rabbeinu went until the moment that he died, until his makkah menucha, until the point that he actually stopped. He didn't like coast, he didn't like sort of slow down and like, and just like sort of taper off. Moshe Rabbeinu went full steam ahead until the last minute, until he was mamish no longer alive, until the asnachta, vayelach Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu went and he went and he went and he charged forward without letting up at all. In fact, Chazal tell us that the day that Moshe Rabbeinu died, he wrote Yud Gimel Sifrei Taira. He wrote 13 Sifrei Taira. Imagine what that means. Imagine what that means to write 13 Sifrei Taira. If you write a Megillah, people that are working on, uh, you know, the, when, when Seifrim first start to learn their, their umness, they write a Megillah. Because a Megillah is a nice way to train yourself before you get into any heavy-duty stuff. There's no Seamus in the Megillah. There's no shame Hashem's. You don't have to worry about messing that up. And uh, so it's a nice training. Uh, how long does it take for a cipher to write a Megillah? Megillah could take itself, unless you're very skilled, it could take you months, maybe years to write a Megillah. Sefer Tyra itself could take, I have a friend that wrote a, a Sefer Tyra, and he, he's also, uh, he was in Kylo for many years. He was a dentist. He started, I think, when he, was, when he got married, and he finished the Megillah by his son's bar mitzvah. So it was like a 13-year project. Moshe Rabbeinu wrote 13 Sifrei Taira in one day. And this was the day that he died. And that's besides for doing everything else that he did. Moshe Rabbeinu also, in addition to writing 13 Sifrei Taira in one day, Moshe Rabbeinu also was giving Musr to Klai Yisrael. He was, he was giving Klai Yisrael his final words, his final, his final brachas, his final Musr shmuz. Moshe Rabbeinu had a very active schedule on the very last day of his life. Vayelach Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu walked, he went and he went and he went until the Asnachta. That's what the Torah is telling us. It doesn't have to say where he went. The Vart is that he went until he stopped. He didn't let up. He didn't stop. He didn't say, all right, I think I'm going to just take a little break now. I think I deserve fine. I had a long, active life. It's the day I know I'm going to die. Let me just, you know, stay in bed today. No, no, no. That wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu worked and he toiled for the Rabbeinu Shalom, for, for, for Klai Yisrael. He did it until, as, as Chazal used, until Mamish, the last shovel of dirt, was put on him, Moshe Rabbeinu was full steam ahead. With all of his kayak, with all his ramach and shasagidim, his whole body was completely, and his heart and his mind was completely invested in Klal Yisrael and in the Rabbi Shalom's mission for him. There's a Gemara in Baba Basra on Daftaladam and Aleph. And the Gemara says, Mishalayra'a binyan hordas. Whoever did not see the building, the edifice, the architecture of Hurdus, never saw a more a beautiful building in their life. You thought that you know you go and see, I don't know, the White House or uh, or uh, you know Reshit or uh, you know or the Taj Mahal or some Spitz building. You know you think that oh, I saw a beautiful building. No, no, no. If you didn't see Binyan Hurdus, you never saw a nice building if you didn't see that building. What did, what did Hordas build? Hordas built the Bayashani. The Bayashani was the building that Hordas built. And the Gemara there describes the way he built the walls of the, of the Beis Hamikdash. And there's a Machlaikas, exactly the color scheme of the marble that he used, but he used marble 
to uh, as the stones that built the walls of the Bayasheni. Beautiful colored marble, gorgeous, and it like was white and blue, and some people say it was other shades. And the Gemara describes it that it was there was like some uh, some some of the the layers of stone were indented and then some were sticking out. Some were jutting in, some were jutting out. And the reason why he did that was because he really wanted to coat over this beautiful marble, he wanted to put gold. He wanted to gold plate the entire Beis HaMikdash. That was his original intent. So you have to you know, sort of leave room for cement. You can't just like slab cement on a smooth surface. You have to make sure that there's that there's a place to, to put the cement in, that it should take hold, and then this, the, the, the gold was going to be put as an overlay on top of the cement. So he left like indentations in the wall. And he was about to start the process after he built this beautiful um, first layer of these gorgeous marbles that were you know, marble walls, marble stones of different shades. He was about to start the second process, which was to start putting sid, to part, start putting cement on it, plaster, and then putting the gold all over the walls. And the Chachamim said, no, 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 we don't want you to do that. Adkan, that's it. Don't do that. We want you to leave it exactly the way it is, with these marble colors, uh, color scheme running throughout and with the indented walls in and out, exactly the way it is. We don't want you to touch it. Leave it that way. Why? So the Gemara says, Dehachi shapir This is more beautiful this way. Demechzi ke edvisa diyama. Because it looks, the way Rashi learns edvisa diyama means, it looks like the gale hayam. It looks like waves of a sea. It looks like there's going to, like, like the way that the, the different shades sort of just blended in, plus the indentations, look like waves coming one on top of the other. And there's a certain beauty to the way the waves moved. It looked like, it looked like it, they were almost in motion, the waves, on the walls of the Beis HaMikdash. And the question that we always have to ask when we see a Gemara like this is, what do Chazal want us to learn from this? Is this a, a lesson in, uh, in interior decorating? Is this a lesson in how to make something really spitz? Like if you're, if you're planning on, uh, I don't know, building a fancy house for yourself, exactly how you should decorate. Like what, is, what does Chazal want from us here? That's always what you have to ask yourself. When there's always a depth to Chazal. Chazal is never meant to be taken on face value, although you have to take it at face value as well. But there's always a, a, a very deep understanding of what Chazal means. One of the great G'daylem of the previous generation that knew exactly how to understand and how to interpret Chazalin on a much deeper level was Rabbi Yitzchak Hutner. Rabbi Hutner was the Rashiva of Chaim Berlin. He was uh, brilliant beyond words. He was a very amazing Rashi Shiva who was able to tap into every Talmud's potential and he was able to develop, like his Rabbi, the altar of Slabotka, developed so many of the G'dayalim of his generation. So Rav Hutner, who was a Talmud of the Altar, developed Talmidim in the next generation. And many of the, the great Rosh Hashivas and Hasidah Sherebis and uh, leaders of Klai Yisrael in this generation were Talmidim themselves of, of Rav Hutner. And just yesterday, I listened, um, I was looking for this shear. Now, it's brought... If you want to see this, uh, it's like brought a little bit in the back of the Pachet Yitzchak, which is a set of svarim on Hanukkah all the way in the back, but you're not going to understand it because it's in Yiddish. But, unless you speak Yiddish, that is. But, um, but I heard it online. They have a recording. If you want, I could find it for you. If you want to hear, it's also, it's in Yiddish also. But just to hear the way he majestically conveyed uh, this beautiful Yisait that I'm about to tell you, and it was on Purim, and uh, and and he uh, actually it's not in Chanukah, the Pach Yitzchak is in Purim, and it's in the back of Purim, Kuntris Rishimas Yodalad. But if you want to hear it in all its glory, you have to go um, to this recording just to hear how he sounds as Kedai. 
And it was while he was at his Masiba, his famous Pura Masiba with uh, hundreds, hundreds of people, and he was drinking, he was already uh, you know, a little bit uh, in a higher level, and he was saying it, and it was, it's so beautiful to listen to it in the original. But this is basically the aside. It says, why in the world would the Chachamim say to stop building, stop plating it with gold, because it should look like the waves of a sea. Why, why is that important for us to know? Listen to his Yisaid. He says like this. He says that there's a Pasuk in... The Pasuk is in... In Tehillim Peites Pasuk Yud Aleph, I believe. And the Pasuk says like this. Atom Moshel Begeus Hayam. You Hashem command... You rule Begeus Hayam over the raging sea. You control the raging sea. Bisai Galov Atatishabchem. And when its when its waves arise, Atatishabchem. So the simple definition of Atatishabchem means you calm them. You still the raging waters. When the waves crest, when they come up to a peak. They always, HaKadosh Baruch Hu always makes them calm down. Ata to Shabchem. Shabchem means like you calm them. But if you look in some of the Mepharshim, they say that Ata to Shabchem is exactly how we would have interpreted it. To Shabchem is a Lashon of you praise them. Basai Galav, when the waves crest up high, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you praise them at that moment. You praise the seas for being able to crest up high. When you go up to... You know, when you're on a beach and you see the waves and they're able and they're going so high, the waves, and then they break a second later after they're very, very high, HaKadosh Baruch Hu praises them right when they are about to break, right before that moment. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you praise them. Why does HaKadosh Baruch Hu praise the waves when they're cresting, when they're so high? So Rav Hutner says like this, he says, the waves know full well what's about to happen. The waves see the waves in front of them. What happens to waves? The waves go in waves. So there's one wave and the wave goes really high and then it crashes down to a certain, uh, like a border that HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes in the sand that it shouldn't go beyond that border unless... You know, extenuating circumstances sometimes make them crash further, but in general, HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes a gvul layam, HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes a border that the waves cannot naturally go past a certain line. So the waves know that they're going to break. The waves are fully aware that it's not going to last forever, that this aliyah that they're having is not going to be forever. In a few seconds, they're going to break down. But yet, they still go with their full force as high as they can, knowing that, yes, I will break in a second, but I'm still not going to be stopped. I'm going to go undaunted. I'm going to continue with all of my strength until the end, and when I break, I break. But that's not going to stop me from going as high as I humanly possibly can. When the waves crest, HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves when something shows the ability of rising as high as they can in spite of the fact that they will come down. But still they're charging forward with all of their strength at that moment. And Rav Hudner says that that's what was happening during the time of the Binyan Bayasheni. The Binyan Bayasheni, as was already known, Klai Yisrael knew, B'Nevuah, that the Bayasheni was not going to last forever wasn't going to be forever. There's going to be a Bayashlishi. The Bayashini was going to have a couple of hundred years of glory, and then it's going to be unceremoniously destroyed by enemy forces. And so you could very easily go and say, well, all right, listen, if we're going to be destroyed anyway, like, let's not even go through the motions over here. Like, what's the point? We don't know when it's going to break. We don't know when, you know, when this destruction is going to come, but it might be tomorrow, it might be uh, in a couple of years from now, it might be in a couple of centuries from now. But Klai Yisrael could have somehow been disheartened and said, well, what's the point? But they didn't. 
the waves on the wall of the Beis Hamikdash was like an inspiration for Klai Yisrael, always just charge forward, do it with all of your strength, with all of your might until the end. Never let up, even though you know that there will be a day that this will all come crashing down, that it's going to break. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu appreciates every moment that we're doing now. Rav Hutner brought a Chazal or a Rashi that says, At the moment of joy, be joyous. Aye, but tomorrow something might happen. Tomorrow, who knows what might happen. You have a child. Do you know what's going to be with your child? Do you know if your child is going to stay healthy? Do you know if your child is going to be successful? If he's going to, if he's going to stay on the derech? If he's going to be happy? If he's going to be healthy? You don't know. Nobody knows. It's a, it's a mystery. But when you're making a simcha, you're making a, a shalom zacher, you're making a bris, you're making a pigeon aben, you're making a bar mitzvah, you, you hope that everything will be good. And you enjoy the child and you rejoice over the child. When things are happy, be happy. What, what's tomorrow going to bring? I don't know. Nobody knows. But when there's a time of simcha bi sameach, when the Beis HaMikdash is standing every single day, tomorrow might be different. Tomorrow might be lead to a korban. But today is not. Be joyous. Do it with all of your strength. And you saw them on Madam every single year doing their own Avaid in the Beis HaMikdash. Do it with all of your force, all of your strength. Do not give up. Do not back down. Do not get disheartened. Regardless of what will happen, do it today with all your strength. The Chacham said, do not dare plate the walls with gold. We want to see those ocean waves that are resembled by the marble in the walls because that will inspire Klal Yisrael every day to do their Avaidah like those cresting waves that are always powerful and always motivated and always inspired to go strong until the very end. Knowing that they will break. That's true. But right now, are we broken? No. Right now, we're strong. So be in the moment. Live strong right now. I just wanted to be myself to this Pachir Yitzchak that there's a Chazal that says that the Levim, when there was when the Beis HaMikdash was being destroyed, the Levim were singing a shira. They were mamish singing shira as the enemy was breaking into the gates of the Beis HaMikdash. You can understand, if you think about it, it's an amazing thing. You'd think that the Levim already you know, got word, they heard the sirens or something, they went into the shelters, they ran away. It's not true. They went and they played mamish until the very end. They were singing the, the, the capital that ends. They didn't succeed in finishing that capital of their song of the Levim until the enemy came and destroyed them and killed them and, and burned down the Beis HaMikdash. But you see from there, like how Rav Hutner's Vard is so true, like it's not just that they waited until like a week before the Chorb Mesa Mikdash or a month before. They actually continued strong like the waves until the very last second. <clears throat> Reminds me of Lahabdil Elif Abdallah of uh, the legend that supposedly happened that on the Titanic, the, uh, the orchestra, was, uh, you know, everybody knows the story of the Titanic, but as the boat was going down, so there was a, an orchestra, and supposedly they were playing their violins and their cellos as the boat was sinking. They wanted to calm people down, or they wanted to, I don't know what they were doing, but that was, that's the legend of the Titanic. And Lahavdil, Elif Abdullah, that's sort of like what the Levium were doing a thousandfold as the Beis HaMikdash was being destroyed. The Levium were singing their shira, uninhibited, undaunted, unstopped, because that's what a Yid is supposed to do. That's Meishu Rabbeinu. Vayelech Meishu, until they, he knew he was dying. It wasn't a secret. He, had a, he knew that today was his 120th birthday and that he was supposed to die. He didn't stop. Vayelech Meishu, he went and he went and he went and he went. Until the Asnachta. He continued his mission. He continued his Avayda. He was writing his Sivrei Torah, giving Musa Yisrael, teaching Torah, teaching Yerushalayim. Whatever he was doing every other day of his life, he did on the very last day till he stopped breathing. He didn't stop. 
He didn't slow down. And that's what a year does. They say about Ramesha Feinstein. Ramesha was also like, he was the Meshra Rabbeinu of our, of our times. And I'll never forget the day that he was Nifter. He was Nifter on, he was Nifter right before Purim, maybe about 30 years ago, um, right before Purim. I remember because the night of, uh, we had a Mesiba and Yeshiva, I think it was, um, I think we made it that year right before, the night before Tainus Esther, if I'm not mistaken. And I think it was, I think it was Yud Gimel. And, um, and we were dancing. We, were, we had a beautiful masiba in yeshiva where I was in, in Long Beach. And uh, we were dancing, and there was a band. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, the mashkiach came into the, into, the, uh, into the room that we were having our masiba in for Purim. And he said, you know, everybody has to come up to the base medrash now because uh, Ramesha is very sick. Everybody has to stop their dancing and say tilim. And we all went upstairs and we were saying Tillam and screaming and screaming. And then, and the Rashiva, Bitzlak Feilstak, who was uh, just Nifter maybe a month ago, uh, he was the Rashiva of Long Beach, and I'm going speak to speak about him a little bit tomorrow in the Shabbashuva Drasha. But he was a tremendous Godol and he, uh, a Talmud of Aaron Cutler, and he. Uh, he, somebody came into the base medrash and whispered in his ear something, a bacher, and he fell to the ground. And we all did the same. Everybody was sitting on the ground and crying. And, uh, and Ramesha was, was nifter. And uh, I remember that, there was, uh, that the band downstairs didn't know what was going on, so they were still playing their music. They were still continuing their music as if it was like you know, they didn't chap what was going on, so the Rashiva told me to go down and tell him to stop. But Ramesha was taken away in an ambulance, um, and in the ambulance itself, Mamish, a second before he died, the last words that he said was, I don't have any more strength, I have no more strength, and then he died. Which means to say that he was putting his all into everything that he did up until Mamish, the moment that he died. Until the moment that he died, that's what he was doing. He was doing his avaydu, he was writing his chuvas and, 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 and learning Tyra and teaching Tyra and giving Yerushalayim to the Dar and giving Musa, whatever he was doing, until he Mamish had no strength and that was the end of Ramesha. Vayelech Meisha until the Asnachta and that was it. But he didn't stop until the bitter end, until the very last minute. I once read that there was a very Chashava uh, Rebetzin. She was a teacher, uh, she was a principal in Beis Yaakov, and she was very famous in Brooklyn. Um, she inspired many, many girls, Svardik girls. She was a principal of Svardik Beis Yaakov. And, uh, but she was very, she gave speeches all over, and she taught um, halachas to kalas and everything. Anyway, so basically, uh, somebody once asked her, like, what would you want to do the last day of your life? Like, you know, what would you do if, if you knew this was the last day of your life, what would you do? Like, some people would say, you know, I want to, I go to, you know, I go bungee jumping. I don't know, I go to, I always wanted to go to Switzerland. I, you know, like, what, what would you do the last day of your life? She said, whatever I would do today, I would do the last day of my life. She says, I would like to be playing on, this, on the floor with my children and grandchildren playing blocks and toys with them, and cooking a vegetable soup on the stove. That's what I do today. That's what I want to do the last day. I'm not looking for anything different. Whatever my Aveda is, that's what I want to do on the very last day of my life also. If nothing should change, if you're, doing, if you're living life properly, then what you do today should be the same exact itinerary as the last day of your life. Why should it be different? Your Aveda is your Aveda. And I was reading an article, and, and somebody said, like, uh, she was very, very sick at the end of her life, Rebetzin Bronstein, and she had Yanamachla, she had cancer, and she was extremely, extremely ill. And one of her Talmidot went and visited her, and she was at home, 
And guess what she was doing? There was a pot of vegetable soup on the, on the stove, and she was sitting on the floor playing with her children and grandchildren. That's, that's life. Life is you do your Avedah till the end. Till you mamish can't do anything anymore, you do your Avedah. That's what a Yid is supposed to do. Never stop. Never give up. Aye, but tomorrow is going to... Tomorrow, worry about tomorrow. Right now, now, when I'm alive, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me a neshama. I want to do with my neshama as much as I could do and squeeze out every day to its fullest. Regardless of what's going to be tomorrow, the waves know that they're about to break, but they still crest so high. Because right now, at this moment, I'm high. I'm able to do what I'm able to do, regardless of what the next second will bring. Now, this isn't only a shmuz for Parshas Vayelach. This is a shmuz for Yom Kippurim as well, and for Aser Simei because the greatest question that we all have and that impede the process of tshuva, I think for many, if not all of us, and I know this because I ask myself this question, and many, many guys come over to me every year and ask the same question. And the question is as follows. Who in the world am I kidding? Who am I fooling? I'm saying, I'm supposed to confess I'm supposed to have charot ala avar. I'm supposed to have a kabbalah ala asid that I will never speak lashon. Well, that sounds vaguely familiar because I did the same thing last year. How did that work out? Last year I also said that I wasn't going to speak lashon hara. I never spoke lashon hara this year. Baruch Hashem, I had my. I, I was quite good at my lashon hara this year. Last year I also said that I was going to have shmir senayim. Was I successful with my shmir senayim the whole year, or not? So what makes me believe that when I'm doing all this, this, this breast beating and I'll with this and with that, with the Eight Sahara, with Gila Arayas, with Skiras Ayin, with, uh, you know, with looking at things I'm not supposed to, listening to things I'm not supposed to, talking about things I'm not supposed to, looking at the, and you know, going places and, uh, and, uh, and, and doing all types of Averis. <laughs> Is this legit? Like, come on, who am I fooling? Who am I fooling? Why would I think that this is anything but a farce and a facade? I'm fooling the Bari Elam. I, you know, do I believe it? So Elamai, it's just like lip service. It's just like wink, wink. You know, instead of beating our hearts, we should be winking the whole, the whole, the whole Alchet because it's all, uh, it's just a facade. So let me tell you a Misa with the great Reb Chatzko Levenstein. Reb Chatzko was the mashkiach of the Mir. And then later in life, he went to Eretz Yisrael and he became the famous mashkiach in Panovich Yeshiva in Bnei Brak. But Reb Chatzko was the mashkiach in Shanghai. He was the mashkiach in Poland, and the Mir when it was in Poland. And then, of course, when the whole Yeshiva was miraculously able to get to safety and to avoid the... Uh, the the storms of, of World War II by taking the Trans-Siberian Railroad across Russia and then going uh, across the seas to first to Japan and then to China and, and finally settling in Shanghai where the whole yeshiva miraculously was able to, uh, to, 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 be, to find relative safety there and to build the yeshiva there and to, and to steig and many of the gedalim of the next generation came from those years in Shanghai that was blistering hot there and they were uh, and, and with very uncomfortable circumstances there was no you know, major kosher food to be had and there was no uh, and there were very few svarim to, to be learning from but whatever they had they were, they were tremendously nisala in Shanghai and then they were able to go to Eretz Yisrael the Mir Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael in Yerushalayim and the Mir in Brooklyn and uh, tremendous development of Tyra from that miraculous escape so the first Yom Kippur that they were in Shanghai, it was obviously a very, very emotional Yom Kippur because many of these Bachrim came there alone. They didn't know the fate of their families. They had no idea whether their families were alive or not. They didn't know about their friends. They didn't know about the fate of Klal Yisrael. They didn't have 
like news like we have today, everything like instantaneously. It was a big mystery what was going on in Europe. Nobody really knew fully what was happening. And, but they were fearing the worst, and uh, they had a Yom Kippur, like unparalleled Yom Kippur, crying, crying, davening, going crazy on Yom Kippur. Tremendous Yerushalayim, tremendous Tshuva, tremendous Aveda. And Reb Chatzkel used to daven these very, very long Shman Esrei. They say that his whole Yom Kippur was just a series of one Shman Esrei to the other Shman Esrei. Like the, the Meir Shman Esrei went until, until Aleisa Shachar, and then he would daven, and then, you know, Shachars would go until, until Musaf, which would go to Mincha, which would go, which would go to Ne'ilah. And it was all, all basically, uh, you know, Shman Esrei, Zavayda. And then came Meiriv. And he was davening a very long Shmaneser, and he told them before, you know, don't wait for me because you have to go and break your fast. So, what the Bachram decided amongst themselves was that they wanted to give Reb Chatzkel Nachas. So, what they would do is that they would quickly break their fast after this Yom Kippur, that was one for the books. And then they would quickly run back to the base medrash and learn, make a seder right after, like ten minutes after Abdullah, after they ate whatever they needed to eat to survive, so that when Reb Chatzkel makes Eisah Shalom, when he finishes his, his long Shemana Esrei, he would turn around and see a whole base medrash full of his talmidim learning, and that would give him tremendous nachas. And that's exactly what happened. They all went back to learn, and they were steiging in the base medrash. They were learning. Reb Chatzkel makes Eisa Shalom. He turns around, and he was beaming, seeing a whole base medrash in wartime with everything, every reason not to learn, every reason not to daven, every reason to be just depressed. And, and, you know, but they were continuing their aliyah, and he turned around, and he was like beaming. He was like illuminated. And... He claps on the bima, he claps on the shtender in front of the base medrash, and he gave the following drasha, which was one that is a drasha for the ages and for each and every one of us. And he says like this, he says, I know what each of you are thinking, that this Yom Kippur was so powerful, this Yom Kippur we were able to steig so much, but what's going to be with us tomorrow? How are we going to be able to maintain the altitudes that we've reached over this Yom Kippur? We became like superhuman this Yom Kippur. We became malachim mamish with our avayda this Yom Kippur. I mean, you're all wondering, okay, what's going to be tomorrow? I'm going to wake up and then I'm going to start, you know, my Shemayin Esther is going to be shvach and then my, uh, my first Seder might be a little shvach and then come Sukkot and I don't know what I'm going to be doing then and Chalamayit and this and that. How am I going to maintain this? And you might be depressed that you're not going to be able to maintain it. And you probably won't. But he says like this. He says, I'm going to give you a mushal. He says, once upon a time there was a, a man that attained great wealth and he wanted to build himself a palace to reflect how wealthy and how successful he was. So he had the greatest architects come. He flew them in from Paris to design him like a like a like a mini palace of Versailles, like a beautiful a beautiful ornamental palace with everything, all of the gold, the gilded walls, and all the most ornate furniture and the high ceilings and all of the the most beautiful architecture. And he invited everybody as soon as this house was complete. He wanted to invite all of his friends and family to come to the Hanukkah Sabayas to see what he had built and what he had been able to accomplish. And there was one Makebepatish, there was one thing left to be done on this house, and that on the top of the mansion there was like a little um, like a little uh, statue that was to be placed, that was to be mounted on like a on a nail or on a big peg on the top, and that would be the Makabah, that would complete the whole palace. That was going to be the master stroke of this beautiful edifice. And so with a whole crowd of people, with hundreds of people down in the front of the house, you know, he, was, he went up 
and everybody was looking at him, and he was about to mount this, this statue on top of the home to complete it, and everybody was going to applaud, and he lost his balance, and he fell off of the house, off of the roof, and he landed on the ground, and he was okay, he, he broke a few bones, but he was alive, and he was like very disoriented, and he was looking up at the mansion with his eyes as if the mansion was topsy-turvy, was upside down. And he said, all he could say was, I, my mansion has collapsed, my mansion has fallen. And what's going to be all that work that I put in? Look, it's all upside down, it's all... And they said, no, 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 the mansion is, is exactly where it was. The mansion is perfect. You fell. You fell. And you have to get patched up. You have to, we have to put your bones in a cast and we have, to, we have to take care of your scratches and your burns and all that you have. You succumb to a couple of, to, to some injuries. We're going to fix you up. But your mansion exists. Your mansion is still in place. And Abchatzkel says that that's exactly what we've done here today. This Yom Kippur was the Yom Kippur that we will never have again. This is the Yom Kippur that maybe in the last hundred years, maybe more, Klai Yisrael has never experienced the Yom Kippur like this. The tshuva and the tefillah and the tzaka, the kail, everything that we gave, we put our all in, we left it all on the field, everything was in this Yom Kippur. And this Yom Kippur, we built a tremendous mansion. It was a tremendous edifice, a tremendous bias Lashem. And it's true that we will fall. We will fall, it's inevitable, because we're human, and we're frail, and we have a Sahara, and things will happen. That's inevitable. But the mansion that we built this Yom Kippurim will remain with us forever and ever. No one can take that mansion away from us. This Yom Kippur, with our tshuva, with our tefillah, with our tzakas, with our bechi, with our viduyim, with our charata, with our kabbalah, with our tzayim, with our, our lev, whatever we put in, we built and that still remains. We might fall off of this mansion, but our mansion remains. And this is the message of Aser Simechuvah and Yom Kippur for all of us. Yes, tomorrow, Matzah Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Chalamayed, Chanukah, Purim, Tu B'Shvat, Lag there will be things down the road that will inevitably make us fall. We will fall. That's, not a, that's just a reality. That's not, that's not a al-tiftah pelasat, and that's a reality. We're human beings. We're weak. We have our frailties. We have a Yetzirah. Ki hu yada Yitzreinu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows our Yetzirah. He created the Yetzirah. He designed the Yetzirah. He knows how powerful the Yetzirah is. And he appreciates we fighting the Yetzirah. But he knows... And we know that there is an inevitability that we probably will stumble. We probably will be over many of the viduyim that we are confessing on. But that does not change one iota of what we're building these days. Whether it's today, whether it's Shabbat Shuvah, whether it's Erev Yom Kippur, whether it's Yom Kippur itself, by Kol Nidre and by the morning, by the Avedis Yom Kippurim, by the Ne'ilah, by Hashem Elohim, what we're building with our tshuva, with our tefillahs, with our bechias, we're building something that will be ours forever. The tshuva that we're doing, and we're thinking basher husham, we're crying to the Rebbe Hashem, and we're honestly basher husham, at the moment that we're saying it, we are on such a high that we're saying to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I will not speak Lashon Hara again, and I'm telling the honest truth when I'm saying that. I'm not winking, I'm not lying. I have charata gemura that I spoke Lashon Hara. I'm misvada that I spoke Lashon Hara. And I'm mekabel ala asid that I will not speak Lashon Hara again. And I mean it with every aver of my body. I'm telling the truth. This is what I am mekabel. Right now, 
the ocean is cresting. Yom Kippur is a, is a wave that goes up. It starts with Rosh Chodesh Elul, and it goes higher by Rosh Hashanah, goes higher by Shabbat Shuvah. It goes on the tippy, tippy top. And we're thinking, wait a minute, it's going to be tomorrow. No, 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 don't think about tomorrow. Tomorrow is irrelevant. You know, we even say on, in Shemayna Esrei, right after of Mayrav of Yom Kippurim, after Yom Kippur is over, we already are clapping, you know, uh, um, right at the first brachas, we say, what's, what's that all about? I thought we just got Mechila Slicha Kaparo. The answer is that, you know what, it's already, we've already messed up. After, by Mary, we're already diving, you know, very fast. Everybody's rushing to the Kakish cake, and, uh, you know, everybody, uh, so you're already not being Mechavin in the, in the brachas properly of Kriyashma, and you're thinking about everything else. You're thinking about going home now, you're thinking about catching the bus, catching the train, driving, carpooling. So we're already doing Averis, Mamash is second out of the gate. And we know that, but we're not supposed to think that. When you're going as high as you could go, when you're happy, be happy. When you're in Yom Kippur mode, be in Yom Kippur mode. When you're doing tshuva, and mean it to your fullest. Tomorrow, that's the Yitzhara. Yitzhara is whispering, ah, tomorrow, you're a faker. You're not going to do it. What are you doing? Oh, now you're Mark Ben Chal of Yisrael all of a sudden. Nasser Simei Pas Palter. You're a big faker. You're a phony. That's the Eight Sahara. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us to continue cresting higher and higher and higher and meaning every second, Basher Husham, every second of Yom Kippur, every Alchet that you clap, every Ashahamnu. I mean it. This is my, the best me that I could ever come up with. This is the mansion that I'm building. This is what I want. Does that mean that it's, I'm making a shvua that I will never do it? Well, in a certain sense, yes. Because I'm, I believe it. I believe fully, or you should believe fully in yourself and in your ability to remain as strong as you possibly can throughout the year. But the fact that last year proved that that, would, that did not happen, and the fact that you think that in the coming year that's not going to happen is irrelevant. That should not change in any which way your firm resolve to do tshuva today. And the avayda every single second of these aserasim e tshuva, and especially in Yom Kippurim, the day that we fast, the day that we stop ourselves from doing things that we normally do, and we maintain everything perfectly, and we show HaKadosh Baruch Hu, this is who I am! Look at me today. Look at the mansion that I'm building, that I earned, that I built for you. Seal me in this book as I am today. That's how I want to be forever. I'm going to fall. That's the Sahara. That's the Sahara just whispering in your ear like he always does. You're not going to do this. This is ridiculous. What are you doing? Don't listen. Vayelach Meisha. You have to go stronger every single day, stronger and stronger and stronger, as long as you have strength in your body, you do every second, with every ounce until you have no strength left, you continue going further and further and further. This year, Tafshin Pei Beis will be a year for the books. We're going to have an amazing year. I'm so excited. And you should be excited to be able to learn Meseches Gittin, to be able to chazer Meseches Gittin, to be able to understand your Abayim Shiurim, learning with your Chavrusa, with a Geshmak, coming to davening every day, coming to Starim every day, don't say to yourself, oh, come on, I know that, you know, it's only the first day of the Zman, but blah, blah, blah. Don't think that way. Every day, go stronger. Don't stop. Don't allow yourself to stop. This is the first Shabbos of the new year. Do it with a Geshmak. We're so happy that each of you are in Yeshiva. You don't know how much Nachas we have 
for you being in yeshiva. And there are guys that already have drifted away, and it's already, you know, it's already close enough to, to the end of this man. There's only one college class, and they make all these cheshpainets, and therefore they're already booked, you know, Arab Rosh Hashanah. It's the last we're going to see. You guys are here on a Friday during a Sarasimei Tshuva. You have every excuse in the book to have been home and to not come and whatever. You're here. Do you know what that means? You know what that means to the Rabbeinu Shalom? You know what that should mean to you? That means that you intend to go strong until the end of the Zman, until the Atzibula Basrais, until the last moment of the Zman. Because you understand that Basay Galva Tatishabchim, that Kadishbarhu gives such praise and admiration for people that are able to go strong until the very last second. Don't give up. Stay strong. Make this Sasersi Mechuva amazing. Make Yemekipurim and Yeshiva the most amazing one. Scream and cry and give it your all and leave it all there. And then go from there, from Yemekipurim into Sukkis with a Chuva Me'ava. And then go from Sukkis into Wintersman, a long Wintersman, two others which is a beautiful thing. You have that much longer to steig and to chat more gitten, to chat more lamdas, to chat more bekiyas, more musr, more, more hadracha, more machshava, more dibuk more chavrashaft. You're so lucky. Ashrecha that you're in yeshiva. And ashrecha that you're in this yeshiva. And ashrecha that you have such chaverim to be mistabek with. Don't stop. Keep going. Keep the motion. One step after another step. One brick. One wave after another. And continue to crest. And if you fall, you fall. But when you're cresting, catch the waves. And in Mitzvah Hashem, we should all be zaycha to a beautiful Shabbos. And a lichtagiyam a kippurim. And in Mitzvah Hashem, we will go together. La'elo u'la'elo.